for my kids. My kids are not raised in a home that's filled with that. And um, they're, my kids are going to have a different legacy than the one that was handed to me. And so in my family, by the grace of God, and only by the grace of God, I have taken that ground back. And so that's not going to be passed to them. And then how many know everybody in here that God has ground that he wants you to take back? If, in regards to your family, in regards to your personal life. Um, because, how I many know there's an enemy who wants to destroy, is, am I ringing? Is this a little bit high? Can we do something about that, please? I'm trying to ignore it, but um, yeah. Anyway, and so the enemy, of course, he, you know, he seeks to still kill and destroy, but then the Lord, he, he's coming to give life. Hey, let's give it up for the fiancés. He just proposed, and she said yes. Amen. Praise God. How do you know? Because they have matching shirts on. You know what I'm saying? If, if, you, if, you just get, if you're just about to get married and get proposed to, you wear matching shirts. Amen. Good to see y'all, man. Love you guys. Amen. I'm so happy for you. He told me he was going to do it, and he told me all about it, and, and so I was, you know, I want, the, I want to see the video at some point, you know, if there's a video. Anyway, praise God. So that's cool. Isn't young love beautiful? All love is beautiful, but young love is special. So, um, but so in our lives, God wants us to take ground. And then, how many know that everybody here that you have a promised land? Now, I have never fully understood what that promised land was exactly, um, because let me just read you the passage, and then we'll talk about it. Joshua chapter one. And in verse 1, he's preparing the children of Israel to go in to, to take their promised land. It says, After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, to the land which I am giving to them, the children of Israel. And every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given you, as I said to Moses." From the wilderness and its Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Heatites and the great sea, toward the going down in the sun shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and of good courage. For this people you shall divide as an inheritance the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. So the land. Now, what is your promised land? Let's think about that here for a minute because, um, how many know we are we don't necessarily we're not going to go march on Anderson County and try to take that land. <laughs> Nothing against Anderson County. We're not going to march on Scott County and try to take that land. We're not going to march on Fayette County. And take, how many know that's weird, right? How many know we're not looking at a geographical location that we're trying to conquer? Take it, name in. How many know we're also not looking at conquering a people? I mean, you know, that, you know, under the old covenant, you know, it was the, the you know, the, the Philistines versus the children of Israel, and it was that type of thing. How I many you know in the new covenant, everyone who doesn't know God can know God? And so there's not this sense of um, fighting geographically. There's not the sense of fighting physically. There's not this sense of fighting racially. I mean, you know, now God wants all of his people, right? And so, so what is the promised land? If the promised land is not a geographical location... Now, this is what I used to preach. I used to preach that the promised land was Jesus. 
I'd say, well, Jesus is your promised land. And that's the way that I would present it. But here's the challenge of that thought process. Your promised land has giants in it. Your promised land has challenges in it. There are no giants in Jesus, and there are no challenges in Jesus. So to say that Jesus is your promised land is really not scripturally accurate. And I used to preach it that way all the time. Um, because your promised land is something that God's giving you, but there will be battles to fight in order for you to take it. It's just the truth. I mean, it's just logic, right? And so let's turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, please. And you have a promised land, but it's not, a, it's not necessarily a geographical location. Your promised land is also not Jesus, because you already have Jesus. And then how many know also that Jesus has already ultimately won the war? 2,000 years ago on the cross, Jesus conquered hell, death, and the grave. And so that aspect of the war is over. But yet there's still this place where we co-labor together with God and we conquer together with God. Anybody in here got any challenges? Yeah, right? Okay. Yeah, that's right. I see some hands and some feet, right? We have challenges. So in this life, you're not promised a challenge-free life. In fact, God says in this world, you, you will have tribulation, you will have persecution. He doesn't say you're not going to have challenges. But Jesus did win the war. And the war is over, right? The war is over in terms of, of your justification, in terms of God's forgiveness of sin, and all these types of things. And so 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, and verse 23, it gives it, an understanding of spirit, soul, and body is really going to help you to um, really understand everything in the kingdom. Because if you don't have an understanding of that, it's going to be difficult for you to understand scriptures. Uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23, it says, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless to the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now here's the thing. You are, you, you are spirit, soul, and body. How many of God is a three-part being? Right? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You are spirit, soul, and body. Now, let's get that visual slide up there if you don't care for, this, um, for the spirit, soul, and body because I want to give people a visual here because um, your, your spirit man has already been conquered by heaven. Like, when you receive Jesus as Lord and Savior, how I mean, you know, you become the righteousness of God in Christ, Okay. It's so sad that, that so many people think that they're just trying to hold on to their salvation and they're trying to maintain their right standing with God and they think that, it's, that it rises and falls based upon their conduct or their church attendance or their giving. That's the saddest thing in the world. This is actually, this is the, this is the elementary principles of the kingdom. Repentance from dead works and of faith towards God. Most of the body of Christ doesn't understand this, unfortunately. But when you receive Jesus, we need to hit this one time just to get this solid before we can move forward. When you receive Jesus as Lord and Savior, you are right with God, okay? And you're right with God in your spirit. And you stay right with God 24 hours a day, seven days a week, into eternity. You never stop being right with God in your spirit. It's the facts. Like, it's the truth. Because when you, be, when you get born again, the incorruptible seed of the Word of God is sown down on the inside of you. And you become a child of God. Just like Ethan is my son, he's, he's my son because he's born of my seed. My DNA is wrapped up in him. When, when, when you become a born-again child of God, when you receive Jesus as Lord and Savior, I mean, oh, God takes his DNA and puts it in you. God takes his righteousness and puts it in you. He that knew no sin became sin so that we could become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. 
When you're born again, you stay righteous. The Holy Spirit seals your spirit. Sin cannot penetrate your spirit. It just can't. It's incapable of doing it. But now your soul is a different ballgame. And your soul is your mind, your will, and your emotions. Your mind, your will, and your emotions. Your thinker, your feeler, your chooser. After I got saved, I got born again. I was perfectly righteous before God, but I still thought like a drug addict. I still thought like an alcoholic. I still thought like all the crazy stuff that I came out of. My head was trash. My spirit was perfect, but my head was trash. And so I had to take the Word of God into my mind. How many of us what you're doing here today? We didn't come here today to minister to your spirit. Your spirit's perfect. Your spirit don't need more of Jesus. Your spirit actually doesn't need anything. Your spirit is wall-to-wall Jesus Christ. And, and, and I want to just make this point clear. Just to say, this, you're, The spirit part of you is the part of you that's joined to the Lord. The spirit part of you is the part of you that's one spirit with the Lord. And let me just solidify this a little stronger. Is there anything wicked in Jesus? Is there anything bad in Jesus? Is there anything dirty in Jesus? Where are you? In Jesus. So your spirit, the spirits of just men made perfect. Your spirit is perfect, and your spirit is joined to the Lord, and the Holy Spirit lives on the inside of you. That's how clean you are, if you've been made totally clean. But now, your head needs the Word of God. Your head needs truth, because until your mind is renewed, your spirit can't shine out of you. See, I've been, I guess I've been saved for about 25 years now, and... Jesus is shining through me more now than he was when I was 19. There's more fruit of the Spirit in my life. There's more love and peace and joy and kindness. I'm free from addiction. I'm free from drugs. I'm free from alcohol. I'm free from pornography. I'm free from all that craziness. I'm free from all that death, right? And so, but the reason that I'm experiencing freedom outwardly in my body, my actions is I've, exp- I've allowed the truth to renew my mind so that my spirit that's joined as one spirit to the Lord can shine through, and when people look at me, they can see Jesus in my life. Amen. And so I present to you that your promised land is your soul. Because, how I many you know, there's battles in your mind. Oh, yeah. There's battles in your mind. There's strongholds that can be in your thought processes. And they're, they're, you know, strongholds of inferiority, strongholds of not being good enough, strongholds of not being worthy, strongholds of being unclean, strongholds of believing that you're something that God doesn't say that you are. See, when I got born again, I stopped being a drug addict as soon as I got saved. But my body didn't catch up until my soul got alive to the fact that I was a child of God and not a drug addict. But the moment I got saved, I got set free from all sin in my spirit. But it didn't change and get into my life, my body, where people could see it until my mind was renewed to the truth of God's word and I found out who I was. So I'll say all that to say this. If you're struggling with something and you've got something you're challenged with and you have sin that's trying to come against you or trying to hold you down, listen to me. As you go up and down in your development with the Lord, don't let go of Jesus and your righteousness. You're righteous the whole time. That's what's going to set you free. 
Because if you think you're flipping in and out of right standing with God based upon your conduct, then the enemy will always have the ability to condemn your heart, and a condemned heart can't receive from God. So I have held on to my righteousness for the past 25 years. And when I first got saved, you couldn't hardly tell I was saved. I used to go to church high. I used to, I used to, I mean, I was just messed up. But as I've held on to Jesus as my righteousness, and I haven't let go of the fact that I'm a child of God, my soul has, caught, has gotten caught up. And there's development in my life. And you know what's happened to me? I'm still developing. My marriage is better right now than it's ever been. And one of the reasons of that is I've, I've allowed myself to be corrected with truth. Because there's some areas in my life I wouldn't let God touch. Because of, because of honestly, the abuse that I had as a child. But now God is like, you know, how many of you know God's not trying to renew your whole... How many of you don't take the promised land in a day? It takes time to take the promised land. You've got to walk around and conquer the strongholds. You've got to take out Jericho before you fight AI. You've got to take out this city before you take out that city. And, and what's happened to me is there's some freedom that God brought in my life. But how many know everybody in this room, there's more freedom for you? Your promised land will always bring you rest. That's what God calls the promised land. How many know God's placed a rest in your spirit? But there's a rest that God wants to bring to your mind, to your thoughts, to your emotions. And that only happens as you co-labor with the Lord and go in and conquer strongholds that may have been put in you as a child, that may have been put in you by your friends or your family or whatever. And so I've and, and, and you can't conquer the things in your soul until you're ready to be wrong. Until you're going to be right about everything, then you're going to be like that tribe. See, there were two and a half tribes that didn't go into the promised land. They were on the other side of the Jordan. Everybody say compromise. They compromised. They did not enjoy the rest. Were they still a part of the children of Israel? Yes. Were they still saved? Yes. Were they enjoying rest? No. They were on the opposite side of the Jordan. And I've made a decision. I don't want to be on the opposite side of the Jordan on any single area of my life. Not my marriage, not my finances, not me being a father to my kids, not the health of my body. No single, everything Jesus paid for, I want it. Because if he was willing to die for it and pour his blood on the ground so I could have it, then I want it all. I want every single bit of it. And whatever, I gotta, whatever I've got to do to get it, I'm going to get it. it. And that's where I'm at. <laughs> because I have found that God's way is better than my way. His way is always better than my way. And, if, and see, you can allow God to come into certain areas of your life, but then there are areas that are strongholds where you won't let God in. You'd be like, no, this is my part. I do my thing here. This is, you know, I don't study that scripture. Because if I were to study that scripture, then I might, I just glaze over that one. The reason the truth is there is to bend you into the direction of truth so that life can flow out of you. And if there's some truth that you don't want to embrace in the scriptures, then it's in that area where you're operating in a lie, which is a stronghold, which is bondage, and you don't have rest in that area. And so in order for this to happen, you have to admit that you're wrong. 
And your identity cannot be in always being right. If your identity is, 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 is in always being right, you're going to have to change that because you be, that's the mark of a fool. Fools need to be right all the time. How do you know, Jeremiah? I was a fool. I was a great fool. <laughs> oh, the mark of a wise man is he loves correction. See, God wants to develop a passion in you for correction. Because listen to me, without correction, you can't be fathered. Without correction, you're not a son, you're not a daughter, you're a bastard. How do you know? I was one. Nobody could correct me. Nobody. My mom couldn't correct me. The police couldn't correct me. The teachers couldn't correct me. You know where it put me? Jail. But the wages of sin were death, and I finally got so miserable in my rebellion that I, I gave up and said, I need Jesus. And I got saved. And so I got saved in my spirit, but how many of you know there's still areas of your mind where we need to raise the white flag and say, I need Jesus. I need Jesus in my marriage. I need Jesus raising my kids. I need Jesus with my friend. I need Jesus. I need Jesus. I need Jesus. And we can take this promised land and it will produce rest in our lives, and not just our lives, but in the lives of those around us, and people will see Jesus shining out of us. Listen, you're not trying to get more of Jesus. There's nobody in this room that has more of Jesus than somebody else. That is a complete fallacy, that type of thinking. You are either alive or you are dead. You are either born again, child of God, or you're not. There are no in-betweens. Nobody gets more of Jesus than somebody else. But the ability for him to shine through is based upon the truth that you will allow to change your mind. And you've got to lay down your identity of always being right. See, it's difficult to get corrected and handle it until your identity is in Christ. Until your identity is in the fact that you're the righteousness of God. That's why righteousness actually produces maturity in people. The more you understand that you're right with God by faith, the more you can be fathered. Because you don't need to be right in order to feel okay about yourself because the way you feel okay about yourself is the fact that you're right with God. Does everybody understand what I'm saying here? It's kind of a, a deep, simple concept. But at the end of the day, God wants you to possess your mind. He don't want fear possessing your mind. He doesn't want anxiousness possessing your mind. He doesn't want worry and lust and sin and darkness to possess your mind. He wants, he wants, but he's going to do it with you. He won't do it without you. There's no place in Scripture where someone prays for you and your mind is renewed in a moment of time. Oh, gosh, that would be great if we could do that. We thought we could do that back in the day. Just lay hands on me. 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 Every week we stay in the same, going down, staying the same, going down. Playing the charismatic game. Give me a little blanket. You know what I'm saying? My life ain't changed at all. Hallelujah. Because your life won't change based upon the gifts of another person. Your life is going to change on you sitting down and letting God father you. Letting him be a daddy to you. And listen, the biggest part of God fathering you is he loves you and he accepts you just the way you are. But as a good father, 
He's also going to correct you so that you can have a better life. See, if I claim to love my kids and I don't correct them, I don't know what love is. Because if I didn't love my, if I didn't care about the path that my son took, then I would just say, well, I love you, do whatever you want. That, I mean, that's not love. No, no, no. Love corrects because love cares about the person's future. I mean, sometimes correction is uncomfortable. I mean, correcting a child is not fun. I mean, it's not. Because it'd be, it'd sometimes it'd be easier just to let them do what they want to do. But that's not, that, might be, that might maintain a false sense of peace, but it's setting that child up for destruction. Because down the road, ain't everybody going to cater to that child. In fact, nobody's going to cater to that child except you. And at the end of the day, you're not raising a child, you're raising an adult. Can I get an amen? You're not raising someone who's going to perpetually stay a child. You're raising a young adult. You're raising another human who's going to have their own relationship with God and their own responsibilities, right? So a part of God fathering you and loving you is correcting you. Now, hey, listen, God's correction is never condemnation. And that's one of the reasons I struggled so much with growing is because I was so condemned as a child. I was condemned so bad. And, and so I didn't know how to handle correction. If anybody corrected me, I immediately felt condemned. And I'd fight it. And so what happened to me, I stayed a fool. But God had to get over to me, I love you when you're bad. I love you when you do good. I love you when you're good days. I love you when you're bad days. I will always love you. Come to me. But when you come to me, I'm going to try to help you so your life don't suck. Because, like, I know how to live life, you don't. So you keep doing it the way you want to do it, or you can go to the Scriptures and allow the Scriptures to tell you what truth is and let your mind be renewed to that truth. And see, and this is important too, you don't go to the Scriptures to see what everybody else is supposed to be doing. Everybody else's life ain't none of your business. Like, I don't know how to say that enough. Every Christian thinks everyone else's life is their business. No, that's none of your business. Hallelujah. Your, your part is to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Now, to a, to a degree, your, your children's life, you know, you, as you raise your children, their life is your business. But a grown adult, two grown adults, none of your business. The worst thing I can do is try to be my wife's Holy Spirit because I'll mess up the work of the Holy Spirit in her life. The worst thing my wife can do is try to be my Holy Spirit. Amen. You go to the scriptures to see what you're supposed to be doing and to find out who you are. And then as you grow, other people will grow around you. But the primary way you lead is through example. If you're not leading by example, you are not leading. At all. Like at all. You can say the right thing all day long, but if you are not doing it, it doesn't mean anything. Nothing. Empty words. This is, how many know this is strong that I'm sharing? But how many know this is love? This is a changed life. This is not punch your little Christian time card and say I went to church. This is, this is a changed life. And so can we get that, that little picture back up there again if you don't care? Your soul is your promised land. The spirit, the war is won. When you win the battle here... Your outside is going to change. Your actions are going to change. Can I get an amen? Turn to Romans chapter 12, please. And I think we're going to be on this for a little bit. 
Romans chapter 12 and in verse 2, we're all very familiar with this verse. But I want to read it to you again. It says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. How many know that at the end of the day, you're called for transformation? What's our transformation look like? Jesus. Days of heaven in our lives. I want days of heaven at my house. I want days of heaven in my marriage. I want days of heaven in my kids. I want days of heaven in this church. I want days of heaven when I'm out on the soccer field. I want days of everywhere I go, I want heaven. And I, I will contend for that because darkness has no right over this ground and the ground of anyone who's within my jurisdiction. And what's inside of you is stronger than what's in the world. But the way you're going to penetrate darkness is you're going to have to open up and let the light shine out of you. And the light only shines out of you when you change the way you think. It's the only way it works. Now, people can operate in gifts of the Spirit, and people can lay hands, and people can do cool stuff like that. But at the end of the day, the light shines through a renewed mind. And it says, do not be conformed to this world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Listen to me. The world is always trying to conform you in its image. Always. So be aware of that when, when you're watching what you're watching. You can watch entertain. Entertainment is so bad that the morality is so low in our land. And, and one of the reasons that it's so low in our land is people have embraced more time with entertainment than they have with, with God's light. And so now... The spirit of this world has seduced most people. In, I'm not going to say most people, but a lot of people into thinking right is wrong and wrong is right. Listen to me. God made this thing. He knows what's right and he knows what's wrong. And you have to be careful what, what you're watching on your phone, on TikTok, on Reels, and all of these things. Because I'm not saying that like you're going to lose out in your relationship with God. I'm not saying that because you're the righteousness of God while you look at whatever you look at. But what I am saying is it's always conforming you. Oh, you think that's funny? You know, one of the best ways the enemy takes shots is through humor. Oh, this is so funny. Yeah, it's funny, but what it's doing is it's downgrading your concept of right and wrong. It's downgrading your concept of what's the right thing to do and what's the wrong thing to do. So you have to be careful because the world is always trying to conform you into its image. Every movie... All the entertainment industry, I mean, it's gotten so bad. Now, listen to me. I'm not anti-movies. I like watching movies. I, I might, like, be a hermit and don't do anything. I'm just saying this. Be aware of the fact that when you are looking at the spirit of this world, it is in the process of trying to conform you into its image. So make sure you're spending time in the light so that the spirit of this world does not darken your mind to the point where the Christ isn't shining through and you're in the flesh rather than in the spirit. Because if you're in the flesh, talking about being carnally minded, it's a little bit more difficult for you to be led by the spirit and for the fruit of the spirit to flow out of your life. And let me tell you something. We're living in a day of time where you need to hear God all the time. You need to hear God whether you're supposed to be here or not supposed to be here. See, I'm not talking about just being spirit-led in church. I'm going to be spirit-led every single moment of my life. I'm going to be in tune with what God is doing so that I can live and win 
and conquer. This is the best days of the church. But we got to keep our oil, we got to keep our like we were talking about earlier with David. We got to keep our lamp full. It's a good time to stay full of Jesus. And I don't mean that in your spirit. I'm talking about up here. Everybody tracking me here? And I'm not saying that to get all weird and legalistic. I'm just saying that like there's an enemy is trying to kill you. And you're trying to try to kill you, try to kill your kids. He's trying to kill everything he can. And there's a God in heaven who loves you. And I know religion may have hurt you and harmed you, but I mean, oh, Jesus is bigger than man-made religion. Can I get an amen? amen? And there is a real and there is a true. And you can't go wrong with the scriptures, even if you don't understand them. Even if you don't understand them. The word of God is alive, living, and powerful. That word for powerful is the word energy. There's energy in the scriptures. If you, I just, people are struggling with, with, with things and with depression and moves and all that, set aside time to read your Bible every day for a week and see what happens. I don't care if you understand it or not. I don't care if you're just going through the begots. This is not a regular book. The Creator put it together for us so that we would have an oxygen tank in a world that hates us. Read the scriptures for a week and see what happens to you. See the change. You know what happens to you? You'll develop a taste for it. You'll get hungry for it. You know what? I, I, don't, I, not a, I don't like apples, okay? I'm not a big fan of apples. I think apples are the weakest of all fruits. <laughs> all right? Just being honest with you, I give me a banana with peanut butter on it, and then we can have church. You know what I'm saying? Give me like a peach, Filled with sugar and, 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 and uh, blackberries and raspberries and all that, right? Okay. But do you know what the healthiest fruit for you is? An apple. You ever notice when you eat apple, you're immediately hungry afterwards? You know why? Because they have so much fiber in it that it like burns up. I don't know. I don't understand all that stuff. But it's really good for you, right? <laughs> I now eat apples. Every day, don't I? I eat bags of apples. And you know what has happened to me? I like apples now. I love a good apple. I ate an apple before I came to church today. I eat apples all the time, man. Wow. I know, right? But what happened was I had to get through a moment of time of not liking the apple. Like, this thing's good for me. I'm not going to eat raw vegetables. I'm going to eat this daggone apple. And so I ate it. And, oh, gosh, it's so good for me. Then I ate another one, and then I ate another one. And now I like apples. And here's the thing, apples like me. I am healthier not going into, and I hate to get too much into eating right because it's such a buzzkill, you know what I'm saying? But anyway, praise God. Forgive me for using that terminology, but I, I, I can't, I don't want to live my life in a sugar crash. Tons and tons of sugar, energy, 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 bam, crashing. Sugar, energy, energy, boom. So now what I do is I eat an apple and I have a protein through the day. I'm trying to make some redemption for all the donut uh, stuff that I've been talking about. All This is the stuff I don't talk about because it's not as fun, right? I'd rather just talk about, you know, last night when I ate a brownie and ice cream and all that kind of stuff. I'm not anti those things. But here's the thing. I developed a taste for it as I did it. The Word of God is the same way. If you'll take some time, because the only thing that's going to change this, this sucker right here is the Word. Yes. Thank God for the presence of God. Thank God for the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit will teach you the Word. But if you'll ingest the Word, it'll cleanse your mind 
and it will help you to take your soul. Listen, in 25 years, I've taken some ground in my soul. You know who's not depressed anymore? This guy. I, I, I was severely depressed for most of my young adult life. I, I was depressed to the point of being suicidal, manic depressive, on, on um, uh, medication, as a Christian depressed. You know who's not depressed anymore? Me. You know why? I clean my head up. I clean my mind. I don't think about the things that I used to think about. I don't put my mind on the thing. I tore down some strongholds that have been in my family for years. Depression ran on in, my, uh, in my family. No, no. I, I tore that sucker down. Me and Jesus marched against that Jericho and the walls fell down. And you know what? I own that city now. I'm happy and joyful. And I don't say that to, to brag on me. I say that to brag on Jesus. I'm saying that to say this, if God can do that in my life, he can do it in yours. But you may have to change what you're putting your eyes on. Because if you'll change what you're putting your eyes on, you're going to change the thoughts that are in your head. And the reason you're sad is because of your thoughts and what you're focusing on. You can be a sad Christian. You can be a depressed Christian. How? Well, you can have all this joy inside of you, but your soul be so darkly clouded with lies that you're not accessing the joy of your salvation. And the thing about it is this, the way this thing works is if, how many don't, check this out. If I turned from the scriptures on Monday, and all I did was watch pornography for seven days. How I many you know on the eighth day, I'm probably not going to be as happy as I was before I turn my heart in that direction? Now, the watching of the pornography, is it going to affect the way God feels about me? No, God's still going to love me. Is it going to affect my born-again spirit? I'm still going to be the righteousness of God the entire time because the failure of man is not stronger than the greatness of the cross. It's the facts. But is it going to mess my soul up? Yes. Is it going to make it difficult for me to see women as women and not objects? Yes. Is it going to rob me of peace? Yes. Is it going to hurt me? Yes. Is it going to affect my marriage? Yes. Is it going to affect my kids? Yes. Is it going to affect my joy? Yes. Is it going to affect my peace? Yes, because my own conscience is going to be condemning me. My heart will be against me, even though God's not against me. So me doing that won't change who I am. I'm still the righteousness of God. I'm still a child of God. But I'm going to be losing ground in my soul. And how I many you know if I continue down that road and I went back to drugs and alcohol and I went back to just darkness and negativity... I mean, I could lose all the ground in my soul that I once had. And you could look at me, and I wouldn't look any different than I did before I got saved. But the seed of Christ would still be in me. Now, someone who's done that, you know what they need to hear? The gospel. They don't need to hear this bunch of rules and regulations of condemnation. They need to hear this. God loves you. You're the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. You are forgiven. You are loved. You are a child of God. Same thing the prodigal son got to hear. 
They need the robe of righteousness put upon their shoulders. They need the ring. They need the shoes. They need the Father to lavish them with kisses. Listen to me. It's hard to sin against love. It's a whole lot easier to sin against anger. You think God's mad at you? It's easy to just run off and say, well, God's mad at me. I'm mad at him too, whatever. I'm just going to live my life. But when you find out he loves you and he's never going to leave you and he's still in there and he's still loving you and loving you and loving you, it's real hard to stay in sin. Because the reality is, your spirit don't like it. Praise God. So you can lose ground in the soul, or you can gain ground in the soul. Those same strongholds that got torn down, how many of they could be built back up? Praise God. It all depends on what we, what we put our eyes on, right? Now, <laughs> I'm going to show you something state-of-the-art designed by my five-year-old. Are you guys ready for this? <laughs> I love my visual props. Ladies and gentlemen, I present to you a stronghold <laughs> made by Ethan Johnson. I mean, Eli, Eli, I'm sorry. He didn't forgive me, bro. He's like, <laughs> he's like, come on, Dad, I'm 17. <laughs> sorry. Sorry. Forgive me. I repent. Praise God. <laughs> we had to be real smart and name all our kids with E's, right? You know? Now, a stronghold is the product of lies. Right? This is my font, so you can't read it. Just trust me, it says lies. The enemy has always been trying to build in your mind a stronghold of lies that he can occupy and attack you from. Whether it be, I'm not good enough, I'm not worthy, I'm an angry person, I'm a dishonest person. Most of these strongholds come in the guise of identity. Because if you identify with your stronghold, then you can't kick it out. Okay? And so, the Lord wants to partner with you to tear down strongholds in your soul so that you can have rest and so that Jesus can shine through. Amen? Let's turn to Hebrews chapter 3, please. Because every time God talks about the promised land, he always refers to it as rest. Always refers to it as rest. How I many you know when you have a stronghold in your mind, it doesn't bring you rest? Right? When you have a stronghold, it brings, it generally, it generates fear and condemnation. No matter what type of stronghold it is, it, it, it generates fear and condemnation. And so, in Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 18, this is talking about the promised land. It says, and to whom did he swear that he would not enter his rest? Everybody say rest. But to those who did not believe, so would they see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. Therefore, since a promise remains of entering into his rest, 
Let us fear, lest any of you should seem to come short of it. This is the only place in the Bible where it tells you to fear, to, to fear in regards to the problem. This is how important this is. God wants rest for your soul. For indeed, the gospel was preached to us as well as to them. For the word which they heard did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. For we who have believed do enter that rest. As he said, so I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest, although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he has spoken in a certain place of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again in this place, they shall not enter my rest. Talking about the promised land, talking about it being a place of rest. The geographical location of the promised land was a place of rest for the children of Israel, but God has a rest that he wants for your mind, for your soul. Since therefore it remains that some must enter it, and those to whom it was first preached did not enter because of unbelief, again he designates a certain day, saying in David, Today, after such a long time, as it has been said, today if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Now listen, this is the, kind of the important part. For if Joshua had given them rest, then he would not afterwards spoken of another day. How I many you know God is not just talking about a land over there in Israel? He's talking about another land. It says, there remains therefore a rest for the people of God. And here is the nature of this rest. For he who has entered his rest has himself also ceased from his works as God did from his. Now listen to me here. Listen to me. I'm not talking about you not doing anything physically. I'm not talking about a rest of action. I'm not talking about being lazy. I'm not talking about being lethargic. I'm not talking about not doing anything. The rest that we're talking about, it, the, the initially, this is the initial, you have to get this in order for you to defeat your Jerichos in your mind. This is the rest. You don't have to do anything to make God, to be right with God. You don't have to do anything to maintain your rightness with God. You are right with God by faith in Jesus Christ. That is the rest. That's the, that's the beginning place of rest. You must know that. I mean, we are to repent from dead works and of faith towards God. Can you get an amen? It's the foundation of everything in Christianity. You don't do anything to make yourself right with God. I got to hit this for just a second before we move on because it's such a stronghold in people's minds. Okay? If you could do something to make yourself right with God, Jesus didn't have to die for you. And you would be the captain of your own salvation. You don't do anything. You receive it by faith through grace. Did the thief on the cross do anything to be made right with God? He was nailed. Did nothing. What did he do? The only thing that, the thing that's important to God, honor my son. Believe in my son. Right? So you're made right with God by faith. How many of you, that's a rest. Now, not only are you made right with God by faith, your righteousness with God is not maintained by your deeds. You are right with God even when you act like an idiot. If you're born again. If you're not born again, you're not right with God. So you can act like an idiot and still be right with God. Now, if you act like an idiot, it's going to make your life hard, and it may kill you because sin is death. And it may make the life of those around you difficult. But, and this is important, and this is the offense of the cross, there's not one, there's not one single iota of human effort that is added to your salvation. The only thing you do is believe. 
Now, once you believe and you know that you're right with God and you have rest, it will affect all of your actions and all of your conduct because the love that you have received starts to flow out of you. And you start loving people and you start loving God. And how many know when you're loving people and loving God, sin has no control over your life. Sin's not even in the forethought of your mind because you're so consumed with being loved by God and loving people and then loving God back. How many know sin is like, it's not your nature anymore. Are y'all tracking me here? Now turn to Matthew chapter 11. But the beginning place of rest is understanding this. You must know that you're right with God by faith and not by works. Because if you think that you're right, right with God by works, then you're going to be very frustrated. And the enemy's always going to be able to condemn you and always going to be able to make you self-focused and always going to really mess up your relationship with God. If you are the reason that you have confidence towards God, that puts a lot of pressure on you. Because when you do everything right, you're going to think you're better than other people. That's called pride. And when you mess everything up, you're going to be in condemnation, and that's called unbelief. The reason that God is faithful to you and will not break his covenant to you is because he didn't make a covenant with you. He made a covenant with Jesus, and he placed you inside of Jesus. This thing's foolproof. We can't mess it up. God made a way where we can't mess it up. We are now in Christ. And so when you pray in the name of Jesus, you're not just putting Jesus at the end of your sentence as an enter on the computer. You're coming in the character and the identity of Christ as a son of God, as a daughter of God. Amen? You are not the reason God is faithful to you. Now, God's always loved you, and God's always wanted you in his son, but the reason God's faithful to you is because you're in Christ. Amen. So now the weak link has been removed, us. Everybody understand what I'm saying? Matthew chapter 11 and verse 28, Jesus speaking here, talking about taking the promised land of your soul. He says, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus is going to help you conquer your mind so that people can see him shine out of you, so that we can prove the will of God. See, you can't prove the will of God without a renewed mind. That's really important to understand. What are you talking about, Jeremiah? Well, when you renew your mind, we can get the will of God happening in your life. When I first got saved, and I was still using drugs and stuff like that, how I many of it wasn't the will of God that I used drugs? Now, did God still love me? Did God still walk with me? Yeah. But it wasn't God's will that I still stayed in that place of darkness. I was still, I was still having uh, premarital sex when I first got saved. And was it God's will that I did that? No. See, I didn't know it was wrong. Honestly, the sex part, I really didn't. I didn't. I, when I found out, I was like, oh, we're not supposed to do this. I was like, praise God, we can't do this. I went to the pastor. I was like, are you serious? I was like, I'm not kidding, man. I was like, the marriage bed is supposed to be honorable and undefiled. He was like, yeah. I was like, oh, gosh. I was like, man, what am I going to do? I was like, how are we going to do this, man? And so I told Stacy, because we were dating at the time, I was like, we can't do this anymore. We had to wait till we get married. And she was like, okay. Like, okay. <laughs> and we did it. <laughs> we had a year and a half where we did not come together. And then when we got married, we got married, you know. 
But in the beginning, I didn't even know it was the will of God. I didn't know. I, that's, how, that's the darkness that I came from, you know? I just couldn't understand why it always seemed like I was spiritually depleted when she would come home from college on the weekends. Like, I didn't know. I couldn't put two and two together, you know? Just being honest. But that wasn't God's will, right? But when I renewed my mind to that, I got to step into God's will, and then sex became a gift that was given to a married couple that is a beautiful thing that God wanted for us to have as a gift, as a part of our covenant. And it was awesome and beautiful, and it was everything. I mean, oh, God made sex. Can I get an amen? And he wants it, and, he, and it's supposed to be good, and it's supposed to be a blessing. Amen. Sex is good. It's not evil. I know the enemy's jacked it up, but it's a good thing. It's a beautiful thing. God's the one who made it, right? But at that time, my mind was unrenewed in that area, and I was walking in darkness. And the perfect will of God wasn't happening in my life in that area. Now, and, and, and in other areas, like, for example, me being patient. Like now, as I am guarding the peace of my heart, I am more patient with my children. You know what's happening to me? I enjoy them more. I enjoy them. When they're upset, when they're mad, when they're crying, I still enjoy them. Because they don't have the ability to take my peace away from me. And so now, rather than my children being a responsibility to me, they become a joy to me. Why did that happen? Because my mind was renewed in that area that God has given me peace and God has given me patience. Now I've cleaned that area of my soul and now the light's shining forth. You know what's happened to me? I'm a better father. And not in the sense of responsibility, just in the sense that I actually am enjoying the good and bad days. I'm not saying there aren't times there aren't challenges, but what I want to show, I'm giving you two different examples. One was a, a place of immorality and the other was just a place of character development. I have more patience and more peace as a result of the renewal of my mind. So you know what's happening? The will of God is taking place more in my life concerning my family. More days of heaven on earth. But the will of God wasn't happening until me and Jesus conquered that impatience thing together. Everybody tracking me on that? What areas of your life are you needing to conquer with the Lord? What areas of your life are you needing to say, hey, God, I'm wrong about that? See, what, this is our challenge. Like Adam and Eve, we think God's keeping some pleasure back from us. Like, like, like Adam and Eve thinks, well, I, I'm in control of my life and my pleasure, and I know what's best for me. Listen, God's way is the best way, and it's the way that's filled with the most pleasure. God created pleasure. The devil didn't create pleasure. God created pleasure. Pleasure is good. I want to have a good, I want to enjoy my life. That's godly. You know what I'm saying? God wants you to eat and to drink and to be merry and to have a great life and enjoy yourself. It's a lie from the devil that religion, the right way, is some boring way, void of pleasure. That's not true. God's way is the best way. And so if there's an area of your life where you're still trying to be in control of that area, I promise you, if you'll relinquish that and give it to the Lord, He'll make your life better. Amen. So rest. And so we're going to close here. We've got eight minutes, and we're going to close here, and we'll pick back up next week. But the final thing that I want to tell you is what you have to understand in, in, in taking the promised land the, one, the most important part of taking the promised land is the Ark of the Covenant. 
if you don't have the ark, you can't win. How many of the children of Israel, as long as they had the ark, they were going to win? Yo, we got the ark. Who, who wants to fight against us? We got the ark. What's up? And they, nobody would to mess with them when they got the ark. Now, what you have to understand, and, and we're going to close right here, is that ark represents something. <laughs> that ark represents the finished work of the cross. Get this, okay? The ark inside the rebellion of man, the pot of manna, rejection of God's provision, Aaron's rod, rejection of God's leadership, the Ten Commandments, broken, rejection of God's ways. In the ark, the holiness of God and the failure of man. But then the mercy seat, beaten from pure gold, covering the rebellion of man. That mercy seat is our Lord Jesus Christ. And so, how many know he was beaten for us? How many know he covered our transgression? Can I get an amen? So anytime you see the ark in the old covenant, it's a typology of Jesus in his finished work. So when you go into your promised land to take the land, make sure you take the gospel with you. Make sure you take the finished work with you. Because as you take the finished work in, how I many of you can conquer Jericho as long as you got the Ark of the Covenant? How I many of you can conquer all these areas of mind renewal? What does that mean, Jeremiah, in a practical sense? It means this. As you fight your fight, as you wage your war against the lies in your mind that aren't really you, you are the righteousness of God the entire time. Righteousness is never taken away from you. You can't fight those battles if you get into condemnation. Even in some of the corrective things that I've shared this morning, if you allow condemnation to come in and think, well, see, God don't like me. Well, see, God's not pleased with me. Well, see, look at me. I'm not patient with my kids. Look, Jeremiah, he's patient with his kids. Jeremiah's eating apples. Dear God, what's happening? <laughs> Jesus is coming soon, boy. Hallelujah, the man's eating apples. What's going on? But listen to me. If you allow condemnation to come in while you are correcting areas of error in your mind, you can't conquer that stronghold because you don't got the ark. You can't let go of Jesus in his finished work. You can't release the ark. Amen. You can't, because listen, listen to me. I don't care what you're wrapped up in. I don't care what type of mistakes you're making. You're a child of God. You're the righteousness of God. That's not being taken away from you. Righteousness of God on good days, righteousness of God on your bad days. You are right with God. You are as you should be before the Father. In your spirit, which is the most important part of you. Everybody understand that? I'm, I'm, I'm vicious on this one part because this right here is why Jesus died. <laughs> He's made you right with God. So, so let's say, for example, somebody's struggling with pornography. Looking at things. Because how many know when, when, when some, pornography carries within it a sense of shame, a sense of just unworthiness and dirtiness, and all these types of things, right? Listen to me. 
while you are partaking of pornography, your Father in heaven is loving you. Your Father in heaven is still inside of you by His Spirit. You are still the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And if you will turn your back, not from the sin itself, but from the condemnation of the sin. I'm not saying it's not wrong, because it is wrong. But you cannot be set free from something that still has the power to condemn you. you got to stand up as who you are in the midst of your challenge, and in the midst of your trial, say, I am a child of God. I am the righteousness of God. And you say it out of your mouth. You honor the finished work of the cross. You take that Ark of the Covenant. And as you awake to righteousness, the power of sin will fall off of your life because that's not who you are. That's not who God made you to be. You may have stepped into that. You may have made a mistake in that. That's not you. That is not you. That's not who you are. And the enemy would try to convince you, well, this is who you are. You're just a lustful person. You're just a this. You're just an angry. You're whatever. He's a liar. You are a child of God. Don't let go of that. And when you face the Jericho, I mean, they walked around Jericho seven times, right? As you face it, don't let go of the ark. You stay righteous as you struggle. That's what I need to say over and over again right there. You stay righteous as you struggle. You stay righteous as you struggle. You're still righteous. And see, people that don't understand what I'm saying would think I'm giving somebody a license to sin. That is not what the Scriptures say. The Scriptures say, that it's the grace of God that sets us free from the dominion of sin. If you will find out that you are righteous even in the midst of those things, it will remove the power of condemnation off of your life, and it will break that sin right off of your life, just like it did me. All these things I've just talked about, none of them have power over me anymore. And it has nothing to do with my willpower. It has everything to do with that ark. Everything to do with Jesus Christ. Everything to do with the finished work. This is how you get free. If we get free according to our willpower, then it's our willpower that's going to have to maintain our freedom. I'm not free according to my willpower. I'm free because I'm a different person. I am not the man I was. And I'm also still growing, too, because I have other areas of stronghold that I need to conquer. You know what's an area, I'm, you know what's an area of stronghold? Poverty. Poverty. I grew up poor. I grew up welfare, food stamps. Not, you know, cheap clothes. Poor. And you know what it did? It, it, it developed a mindset in me. I'm not as good as other people are. I mean, poverty has a way of just marking you with unworthiness. And I'm here to tell you right now that me and my father have waged war on that stronghold and fought that thing and fought that thing and fought that thing, and I'm not under that thing anymore. We don't live in a state of poverty in my home. We don't live in a state of lack in my home. I don't care what the financial state is. I'm talking about the state of my soul. Hallelujah. That thing's evil. That's one of many strongholds. And so we're going to fight them. What I want you to do, I want you to, this week, I would like for you to go home, and I would like you to write out a stronghold on a piece of paper, then I would like you to find a scripture that attacks that stronghold and write it below the stronghold. Because it's the scripture that's going to tear down that stronghold. The Bible says the word of God is like a hammer that breaks a rock in pieces. And we're going to look, in a, look at, in a practical sense, how to tear these strongholds down. Because what we've done here, we've, we've located the promised land, 
We've located the fact that the Lord wants us to take it. Now, how do we do it? Next week, we're going to look at how we do it in a practical sense. So I would like for you to write down. It doesn't have to be your stronghold. It could be any stronghold. And then a scripture below it, and then, and then put it up here on the pulpit, and I'm going to go through these, and we're going to work through these next week. Amen? All right, cool. Good deal. All right. Grant, will you come up here? Please, brother, and begin to close this out. Thank you, God. Don't mess with my Legos, man. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. Yes, sir. Amen. Wasn't that good? That was just so good. Um, you know, he used the illustration of spirit, soul, and body, and spirit, soul, and body changed my life. You know, like I'm thankful for grace, the new covenant, and all that. But what changed my life was the revelation of spirit, soul, and body. It just, nothing, none of that made sense to me. Like, yeah, I would hear people, like I was hearing these ministers say, you're righteous by your faith, but it did not make sense to me until I understood spirit, soul, and body. And, um, yeah, so. Um, so oh, we're going to, we're about to take up our offering. Let's go to Matthew chapter 6 and verse 24. And um, something I've been studying over the last couple of weeks is I've actually been studying on dominion and authority and something really cool i didn't realize this till you were speaking but i've i've identified nine areas of the believer's life where we need to take dominion and eventually i'll do a full teaching on this but um right now i just want to talk about finances but every one of these areas we're supposed to take dominion in they all begin in the soul I didn't realize that to your teaching. I was, I was going over them in my head. All of these begin in the soul. But one of those areas is finances. And let me say this. When we're talking about taking dominion in finances, we're not talking about accumulating more stuff. Right? Like that, that's, not what we're, that's not what we're talking about. Um, but look at Matthew chapter 6, verse 24, and Jesus really uh, talks about it. When he says, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Um, and mammon is just, mammon was a, a, a God uh, in the ancient world who was really focused on, on, on finances, money, however you want to say it. Uh, but verse 25, look here. Then Jesus says, Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and body more than clothing? Now here, here's the thing. Uh, how do you get, you know, most of us, how do we get our food? We get our food, we have to buy it. Right? How do we get our clothes? We have to buy them. Um, so really what Jesus is getting at here is don't let finances run your life. And that's what dominion over finances is about. It's where uh, money is not ruling me. Um, we have a, a rule in our house that we do not, now hear me out when I say this, we do not make decisions on money. Now, let me explain what I mean. I'm not saying we don't care about money. We just do stupid things. But when God tells us to do something, we don't start crunching the numbers. All right. For example, just an example in our life, a few years ago, you know, when God told us to go to Colorado, at that time, now it's pretty much even because of inflation and stuff, but at that time, uh, moving out to Colorado would 
it, it, everything quadrupled in price compared to Colorado and Kentucky. Seriously, like quadrupled. Um, you know, our rent, what it was here in Kentucky, literally quadrupled what we paid in Colorado. Uh, so what, but do you know, because we were acting on what God told us, to this day, that's the most prosperous season we've ever had. To this day, that is the most prosperous season we have ever had. Why? Because we just trusted God. But if money had been ruling our lives, if we had not took dominion over finances, then one, we would have never moved. And if we had moved and done so out of fear, still trying to figure out the numbers, then we would have struggled. Why? Because money would have been ruling us. And money makes a terrible God. It makes a terrible God because it will never produce peace. Right? And this world system is all about money. Um, you know, like right now in the news, there's all the talk of, of businesses that are, you know, pushing certain products and stuff. And let me tell you something. At the end of the day, their agenda is not people. Their agenda is money. And that's what people miss. People are like, well, they're supporting this and that. And I, I understand what you're saying. But ultimately, they're doing what they're doing because they think they're going to make a dollar out of it. That, that is what, that's what mammon does when it's your God. You do things based on, you know, money. And like I said, it's not, not saying be dumb, but we don't, we need money, right? We need money to make it in this world, but we serve God. And um, really quick, and you can go through the life of Abraham, Abraham. like I said, I'm, I'm going to do this eventually, but in the life of Abraham, we see we see this dominion in the area of finances. Now, now, Abraham didn't have the U.S. dollar, but how many knows Abraham was blessed? And he was not just blessed in his physical body. He was not just blessed spiritually. Abraham had a lot of stuff. It says he was rich in silver and he was rich in gold. He was rich in livestock. Whatever the currency of that day was, Abraham was blessed. And you can go through the life of Abraham, and I, I identified three ways Abraham exercised dominion over finances. One, he seen God as his source. It talks about Abraham was, was like I said, increased in silver, gold, livestock, and all that. Isaiah 51, verse 2, I think it was. I, God says, I'm the one who increased him. And because Abraham knew that, listen, when him and Lot came together and they were beginning to, they had too much stuff and they needed to go their separate ways. Do you know it was Abraham's right to be like, okay, I'm the uncle, I'm the older man, I'm taking the good land, you will go over there. But what did Abraham do? Abraham said, pick which side you want. Pick which part you take. Pick which part you want to take. I'll take, the, I'll take the other part. No big deal. So what did Lot do? Lot looked out and said, that's the good land. I'll take that. Abraham said, that's fine. And as soon as Lot gets away, God whispers to him and says, hey, come here. I've got good news for you. See all this? It's yours anyways. <laughs> you can have that attitude when God is your source, right? And, and, then, and then also with that, he was led by God, not not finances, right? God told him, you know, get away from your family. Go here. So, so we see God as our source. We're led by God and not money. But then I, this is the last one. Develop a lifestyle of generosity. The number one way you keep money from becoming your God 
is to be a generous person. Um, we see this with Abraham, and, you know, it's the story of Melchizedek, but he came, you know, he, he, he won the spoil, and he comes and it says he gives Melchizedek tithes of all, and that's, I'm not getting into tithing and all that, but what was, what was Abraham doing? He was being generous because he realized God as his source, and he realized he was not going to be led by money, but he was going to be led by God. Right? So we see it over and over in the life of Abraham that he was a generous person. We see that over and over in the life of Jesus. One of the ways to keep... Because listen, how, how many knows here in a minute when you give, as, as Tim walks away, that money talks to you? Like it does. Like let's just be honest. Every time we give, every, like we are very militant about our giving in our family. And every time I go to give, and we usually give online, every time I hit that submit button... I hear it say, you know what you could have bought with that? You know what you could have done with that, right? But I don't serve money. I use money, but I serve God, right? He is my source. Amen. So we need to take dominion over our finances. And one of the ways we do that is by giving today. Amen. By giving every day, you know, in some way, you know. But uh, it's a good place to start being generous, developing a generous heart, developing a generous lifestyle. So if you need to give an envelope, you can raise your hand and Tim will get that to you. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to give. We bless each and every seed that is sown in Jesus' name. Um, Angie, you got some announcements to give while they take up the offering? Well, good morning, everybody. So I'm happy to announce that today, after service, uh, join us all at Great Crossings Creek. We have a baptism that's going to take place. Woo! Yes, we're very excited about that. Yeah. Also, uh, we're going to start our very first during the week summertime service. So this is a schedule for the summertime every Thursday, starting this Thursday, right? June the 1st, here at the church at 6 o'clock. Uh, then on June the 3rd, which is Saturday, uh, there's a women's conference that's being held at uh, Royal Ranch Ministries. Do we have a link or anything for that for Cassie? Um, if you look up Royal Ranch Ministries, I think .com, is that hers? Uh, you can register, and then once you register, she'll give you additional information of what to expect and maybe things to prepare for that day. Uh, there's going to be a conference uh, at Myrtle Beach, so if you're looking to go to the beach, you want to have some fun, that's going to be June 21st through the 25th. And then for the youth, we have a youth camp that's going to be July 6th through the 9th, so you need to get your kiddos registered for that. And that's it. That's all for us today. And then one last thing, uh, would you guys come up and talk about what you're doing? Yeah, I mean, just come up and just share a little bit because, um, you know, we, we as a church, we love to hit the streets and to do ministry. And uh, <laughs> I'm sorry, but these guys, 
Jesus Generation have put together an awesome outreach this week. And so uh, I'm going to be there and I'm going to be a part of that. And it's going to be on Wednesday and Thursday. Uh, of course, we're going to have church here on Thursday and would love for you to support that as well. But they're going to have like something they're doing like all day on Wednesday and almost all, all day on Thursday as well. And so we're just going to hit the streets and, and, and win people to Jesus. But tell us a little yeah, bit about it. Yep. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. So we're going to be doing a thing called Awaken Lexington. Uh, it's going to be a worship, prayer, and outreach event. We'll be doing on Wednesday, the first day, we'll be in um, at the courthouse downtown. Um, if anybody... Everyone knows where that is, right? Well, I think so. <laughs> um, so the courthouse is the first day, and then we'll be in Triangle Park, correct? Triangle Park the second day. Uh, so basically what we're doing from 12 uh, noon to 8 p.m., we're going to be doing worship just all day. Uh, they'll be rotating worshipers, people who are doing slots, uh, time of prayer, worship. We're going to have some people, different pastors, leaders, just lovers of Jesus, share our words throughout the day, like 20 to 30-minute words just throughout the day, uh, praying over our city and just believing God to awaken sons and daughters uh, for our city uh, to know him and make him known. And to carry this revelation of what he just talked about, this place of just knowing you're right with God and living, whether you're in ministry or not, uh, you can shine. And so, yeah, that's our heart. We're going to be doing that both days, 12 to 8. Um, we have still a few slots. If anybody here is musically inclined and wants to do some worship, uh, let us know. You can reach out. Or we're also doing outreaches. There will be slots uh, for each, each slot. So from like 12 to 2, 2 to 4, 4 to 6, 6 to 8. We're going to be doing uh, like, what's that, like? Four outreaches, I guess? Yeah, so like t three or four outreaches we'll be doing kind of slots and times going out. So if you're interested and you want to come, that would be amazing. We need all that we can get, hands and feet of Jesus. So come on. You want to share some? I'm just going to say there's only one way, on, one truth, truth and one, one life, and that's Jesus. That's a little chant we do, y'all. Uh, Drew would love to share a word real quick. And I just pff, put him on the spot. Um <laughs> But yeah, so we would love for you guys to come out. It's, it's, it's not just uh, our own like ministry event. We want this to be a unified, uh, multiple ministries, multiple churches, uh, so that this brings the body together. Because ultimately, it takes a whole body to save a whole city. Uh, we need every single person, you know, whether, like I said, whether you're in ministry or not, it doesn't matter. You are in ministry. You're a full-time Christian. So we need everybody that we can get to take the city and bring them into a place of a revelation of Jesus. Come on. Everyone just say, we are God's movement on the earth today. That's y'all. You're the Jesus generation. So um, just some exciting things. Uh, Jeremiah is going to be... Uh, speaking on uh, Wednesday night at the courthouse. We have him just slotted, and he's finding he's finding this out right now, and and uh, and 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 he's going to kick it off. I think we have you as the first session on on Thursday at Triangle Park right at lunchtime. So he'll be there speaking on Wednesday night, kind of dinner time ish, six to eight, and then on um, Thursday from. 12 to 1 or 12 to 2. So come on out, support Pastor Jeremiah guys here, and it's going to be a sweet time of just really just locking arms here in the city. Like, who wants to see a move of God here in the bluegrass? Like, I, I've been just, you know, we moved here four years ago believing 
that, that an awakening and a revival would sweep across America and that Kentucky was a key state in that awakening and that, a revi- and that revival uh, for generations to come. You know, Kentucky's so special that it's one of only a few states that literally touch seven borders. Seven borders. And, and God is doing something here in the state of Kentucky that, that seems almost hidden, like, like a root system that's reaching way down. But you know what? In that root system, it provides the, the infrastructure for growth, fruitfulness, and multiplication. And we are believing that now is the time. Now we are the sons and daughters of God. So if you guys would, join us from 12 to 8, Wednesday and Thursday, downtown at the courthouse in Triangle Park with your guy, Jeremiah, and our guy, Jesus. All right, guys? Amen? Also, one last thing. Just keep these guys in prayer. They're about to launch out on our uh, mobile missionary adventure across the U.S. So they're going to be touching 22 states over nine weeks where we'll be actually hosted in about 10 or 12 states for a week at a time. I know that math doesn't add up, but it's like five days at a time. And we're partnering with local ministries and churches from around the U.S. to raise up the sons and daughters of God and to, to turn people's hearts away from many ways back to one way, from, from embracing many truths to one truth, their identity, to, to, to giving up the pursuit for many lives for one life, one way, one truth, one life. Jesus, the banner of every home, every marriage, every family, every neighborhood, town, and city in America. We are believing that Jesus, Jesus is the one who will save America and be the gift of God to the next generation. Amen? Hallelujah. So be praying for these guys. Uh, well, the church helped us get our van, which is out there in the parking lot. So if everybody wants to see it, they can see it. We do have to peel here in like 10 minutes, so you'll have to check it out real quick. Uh, we have to go pick up, actually, some of the team members from the airports. So I just want to thank everybody for your prayers, your support. Uh, you guys can follow on Instagram. Uh, we're going to be da- like doing the whole, documenting the whole trip on YouTube, Instagram. Uh, we have it all, so you can follow at The Jesus Journey. Uh, on Instagram, it's the Jesus Journey underscore official. Uh, and then my personal account, I'll be putting stuff up there. So, yeah, and the Jesus Generation page on Instagram. Well, Instagram, we don't really have yet. <laughs> uh, on Facebook, you can, you can follow us on Facebook, and we'll be posting all the stuff there. So, yeah. So, so go with us on the journey digitally, right? So you guys can be praying and seeing what, what God is doing. And, and, again, thank you for all those who sewed into the van. Y'all are amazing. And this is a beautiful church family. I just want you to know we're kind of new here, but we consider this our kind of church home. So it's just good to be with family. We love you guys. Okay, last thing. With everything else, but I, I, everyone come together and we'll pray over Becky. Come on, Becky's getting baptized today. Let's all gather around Becky and pray for her.